This episode is brought to you by DBT Skills for Everyone. Learn DBT Skills online at your own pace. Access our growing library of more than 20 hours of content with new videos added weekly for only $10 per month. Cancel anytime. Learn more about DBT Skills for Everyone and other courses at dbtokc.com and click on training. Welcome to the DBT for Everyone podcast. Dialectical behavior therapy can help people live mindfully, relate effectively, and cope skillfully. This podcast features interviews, insight, and teaching related to all things DBT. Brought to you by the team at DBT Institute Oklahoma City. Check us out at dbtokc.com. Now let's get to it. Karen, welcome to the DBT for Everyone podcast. It's so great to have you here. And Glad to be here. I would love for you to just share a little bit about your story and how you came to practice DBT among all of the other things that you practice. Well, um, I'm trying to think. I guess it would have been around 2009, and I was doing some supervision at a um, adolescent girls treatment center, and one of the people who uh, he was actually a marketer for treatment centers, knew this woman in Houston who was DBT trained and had a team and had an outpatient facility there. And he was telling us about all the great results they were getting using DBT um, post-residential treatment. And he asked if we would like her to come up and do like a little day-long treatment uh, training. And so, she did and I got bit by the DBT bug I was like oh my gosh and I bought the red book and I tried to read the red book which I'll have to be honest was very difficult for me to wade through Mm -hmm. and so I was like oh what she was presenting in the treatment and then what I was reading in the book didn't seem to jive for me oh interesting very interesting yeah, because it was alive in her discussion. Like DBT was a live thing. And in that book, it was like so cognitive that I, I couldn't write quite get my head wrapped around that. And then also I, about that same time, I heard Marsha Linehan talk at a, I think a family therapy conference in Tulsa. And I was assuming that she was gonna be like the book, like very cognitive and stuffy and, um, kind of difficult to understand and like she was totally the opposite like she was irreverent and funny and warm and uh so she was she was very much alive she was alive her book is not so much but she is book is the dead zone and it it made me feel so (laughs) de-skilled yeah well and that's i think important for our listeners to understand is that sometimes dbt on paper can come across as very structured mm-hmm. and very um, regimented and very cold and um, and but, overwhelming. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's overwhelming for professionals and for clients sometimes. Yes. And uh, you've experienced her in person in training, mm-hmm. and you've also experienced her in person in in other settings as well. So that's really interesting. Have you been able to reconcile the disconnect between her? her personal vibe and like how she portrays herself in writing. What do you think that's about? 
Well, you know, I don't know. I kind of wonder if some of it wasn't that she had a team of people working on the book, you know, who were her researchers and contributors. They were trying to get this uh, approved as an evidence-based treatment. So I think there's a lot of research. I was like going, wow, that just doesn't sound like her. Mm. I mean, I definitely think she's the brainchild. So it could be that some of what ended up in the book was uh, a result of many people's contribution or that she's just genius in some ways like she has this Mm -hmm. genius mind that's very cognitive but um very uh different in real life yeah that that makes sense I, i can see her saying something like that she was being effective in her setting and in trying trying to get this therapy moving it past her own practice based evidence and her little boutique practice with her own clients and moving it into mainstream uh, psychotherapy as something that is evidence-based because that was very much the zeitgeist of her time and still is oh, yeah. in some ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it is there is a disconnect there that I've experienced as well. And she talked about that a little bit at one of the retreats that I did with the other care providers. She did she does retreats for well she doesn't do them anymore but. I, I was fortunate enough to go sit on retreat with her three times as a Zen Roshi, which she is, and a lot of people don't know. Amazing. Um, but you know, I th- I think there was the the uh, pre-success of DBT when she was working hard to be taken seriously, um, and then the post evidence-based like woohoo people see this as an effective treatment now I can relax a little Mm. and I don't have to be so hyper cognitive and evidence-based and research even though that's still so much a big part of her uh, her program Mm -hmm. at the University Mm -hmm. of Washington I think it's a more relaxed and friendly Mm -hmm. and 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 so like this segues into like what you're doing DBT for everyone like it's something in the book I'm reading, DBT for dummies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have mine right here. So. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that while it could be intimidating, is really uh, now something that is accessible and can be made simple uh, and helpful to everybody. Yeah, that's great. And I wonder if sometimes when we pick up on those things that are contradictory, maybe that's because it's dialectical. Maybe, (laughs) maybe she's a dialectical person and, and all of the like roles that we play, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we wear different hats and we have to express ourselves differently. You know, even, even being a client of hers or anyone who is a DBT client, you're going to experience that some days your therapist might be warm and nurturing and, mm-hmm. and touchy feely. And other days they might be a little more irreverent or crass or, <laughs> um, confrontational. And, and it's, and it's all when done properly, it's all very intentional and always yes. in the best interest of the client, but it may, you know, it may be confusing at times. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of your specialties, Karen, is working with folks who are in recovery uh, Mm -hmm. from addiction. And you spent a lot of time in your career in that space. And so tell us how that relates, how the recovery community and the recovery um, mindset plays into DBT. Well, um, 
you know, really thinking about it from like a traditional 12-step model, 12-step is pretty CBT-oriented. It really is. And so uh, I feel like DBT is a good fit for people in recovery, mostly because I think what is at the root of a lot of um, – I, I will, I'm going to call it addictive behavior and not addiction. I'm kind of oh, thank you for away, that. Thank you for that. Veering away from the label, from the uh, you know, uh, is emotion dysregulation. It's the mm. inability to bear what is coming up for us. So, like, why is it that we can't bear this? That we have to reach outside of ourselves for something to self-soothe? You know, which is one of the skills that we teach in in dialectical behavior therapy. So, so you know, it really is, it, uh, it, it's, I'm not even, I don't wanna call it a disorder, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a problem mm-hmm. of emotion dysregulation and lack of skill. Like I don't have the skills to learn how to meet the suffering and bear it, mm. you know, which is hard. You know, we want a quick fix. I mean, they teach that in traditional substance abuse uh, therapy and treatment all the time. We want immediate gratification. And I don't know that addicts are all that much different than other human beings, but as a human species, we've become especially immediate gratification oriented. Like we don't want to wait. And so when I think about DBT, one of the most exciting parts of it is this idea that we have to slow down and eventually stop. Like there has to be a pause button in order for us to choose. So uh, all of the skills that kind of feed into that, like the mindfulness, all the mindfulness skills and uh, the emotion regulation skills, which are really about learning how to be be with those emotions and feelings without constant reactivity or shoving them back down with some kind of substance or behavior yeah and it's it sounds simple and it's like the most complicated uh it is it's really it's really hard i mean i can say as someone who lives and breathes dbt every day that helping someone to find a skill that works for them and to be able to use it in the moment is one of the most monumental tasks that that we can do and and yet we believe that people are capable i hope we believe that that people are capable of learning and integrating skills into their life we were just talking before before recording about how sometimes dbt can be seen as more superficial because it is skills oriented Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you know, how do you see the relationship between what people might think of as more deep work or insight-oriented psychotherapy and more skills-based psychotherapy? And are they mutually exclusive? Can you do skills work on a deeper level? And is insight by itself enough to help some folks with changing their behavior? Mm, wow, that's like a, that's a there's a lot. Yeah, question. I know. That was like super multidimensional, but I liked it. Um, You know, I was originally trained psychoanalytically, so I like think that way almost uh, instantaneously. Like that's my first go-to. And 
Um, I think that there is space for that. I mean, I think there's space for insight, even though mindfulness is uh, really treated in DBT like a skill, like it's really uh, uh, a practice that is more about self, self-regulation. self I think for people who get into a mindfulness practice, they're going to find that part of what happens is insight, <laughs> whether it's right. wanted or unwanted, because when you quiet the mind and you go inside to this landscape and you're you're letting go of your outside worries and concerns, things are going to come to you that never came to you in another state of consciousness. So I really feel like uh, in, in traditional just Buddhist practice or meditation, that they call that insight meditation. I mean, you're really going to a deeper place when you're not in your active mind, your papancha mind. Papancha mm. is the mental proliferation, the storytelling. Um, and things are going to come to you. You're going to have thoughts that you're going to go, where did that come from? Or I never remembered that before. And I think that happens in the therapeutic hour too like where you're having a conversation and you're really in the flow of things and all of a sudden something comes to them in a moment of whether that's just safety in that environment or validation from the therapist where something Mm -hmm. bubbles up to the surface yeah so i feel like it is a place that can contain some deep work but I understand why she set it up the way she did. It's it's for people that are easily triggered, who can't bear those emotions right away. And you've got to get them to a place of competency and mastery where they feel like, oh, I can look at difficult things and bear them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like a big part of DBT is creating that validating environment. It seems like validation is one of the most regulating things that we can offer either as a therapist or a caregiver or a loved one or even self-validation it seems like folks are more regulated and more able to go to those deep places when when they have that sense of safety do you think that folks do have to have a certain amount of regulation before they can have that deep insight or is part of the deep insight regulatory in and of itself. Mm, I think it probably is both and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were you set yourself up there. Uh-huh, of course. Chris, it it is both and. I mean, you know, it's like we used to think and I think that this is somewhat the idea in DBT that if you're self-regulated, if you can have a period of intensive DBT where you feel like you're more self-regulated and more stable, then you can do this next level of work but you know i don't feel like human beings work that way i mean i think sometimes it comes when it comes and there can be some relief in like some deep insight or uh, awareness even if it's painful it makes sense like oh wow this is maybe why i react this way in this situation so i think there's room for both of those things and i think like going back to the addiction thing you know like early recovery for most people who do traditional 12-step recovery is very busy. I mean, recovery is a full, almost a full-time job. You know, they tell people to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, and then you're going to therapy, and then you're working the steps, and you're reading the big book every day, and you have a, a call with your 
uh, sponsor every day. I mean, like it's a full-time job. But if you think about that, like that kind of structure and um, scaffolding for someone who doesn't know how to emotionally regulate is super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, there's really good stuff here. And like you said, we could spend hours really exploring it. And that's my email chime. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to close my email. But as we as we kind of segue in wrapping up our conversation, what are what is a DBT skill that that resonates with you that you might offer to someone who is struggling with addictive behavior? Well, I picked a skill that a I don't know that I don't know that I would um, offer to someone who's like really struggling with substance abuse. But this is the skill which I didn't even know it wasn't a skill. I've been teaching it as a skill, but I guess it's a skill now. <laughs> in my book is easy manner which is actually mm. part of the give skill you know uh it's the interpersonal effectiveness skill that you know we're gentle interested validating and we have an easy manner and i find that for a lot of people who are dysregulated a lot of addicts included they don't even they don't know how to be an easy manner so I've really worked with several of my clients, like we talk about this all the time, like practicing easy manner. And that's like doing the half smile meditation or paced breathing. And I even had a client recently who's who's been in and out of recovery for many years. And he had to go back and live with his adult parents after he got out of rehab. And, you know, he's in his 40s. So he's... <laughs> He gets a little irritated at being parented at 40, even though he's not lived skillfully as an adult very much of the time. Mm -hmm. And he started visualizing his mother as a little old lady because guess what? She is a little old lady. Wow. And all of a sudden, like, what would, what would it feel like to have healthy communication with a little old lady? How would you look? What would you feel like in your body? What kind of words would you use? And it's completely transformed his relationship as he doesn't see his mother as his controlling parent, hmm. as a little old lady and practicing that easy manner. So I love that idea as a skill and I'm, I'm kind of like building my own little thing around it because people who are emotionally dysregulated uh, have a hard time with that. Yeah, I, I love that. And I've actually, I've heard you say easy manner before because it is part of that give skill, but DBT has too many acronyms. DBT is an acronym. And I just think it's so much more memorable to just say easy manner. And it kind of includes all those other things of being gentle, yes. but it's just it's just easier to connect with, I think. So I've borrowed that uh, from you recently. And but, you know, it's not just about imparting information. It, you're really walking alongside your clients and helping them to practice in session even, which is one of the beautiful mm -hmm. things about DBT is um, really guiding, guiding them to, to explore how, how they might change their communication, their posture, their way of being. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Mm, um, sure. As we as we close today, um, Karen, how can folks uh, reach out to you if they have questions, want to get in touch, or want to work with you professionally? I know you're often full, but I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit more about your practice and how folks can get mm. in touch. 
Well, I, I have a private practice in uh, Northwest Oklahoma City, and I have a website, um, net. Um, I, pr- I practice as an independent practitioner, but I also have three other office mates who are like-minded. And um, yeah, that's it. All right. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. And Karen, you have been a part of my DBT consultation team for some time. And I really appreciate you being a part of that. You add so much wisdom and insight as many of us on our team are are learning and growing and, and practicing DBT for the first time. We're, you know, DBT Institute Oklahoma City is a teaching practice because we're all learning all the time, but we yes. also have folks who are at the very beginning of their DBT journey as professionals. So your your experience is invaluable. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on this uh, podcast today. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Always a pleasure to be with you, Chris. And Yes, and and grow along with you on this journey. All right. Well, thank you all for listening today. And until next time, I'll leave you to it. Mm